Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Real Organic Project is a farmer-led movement that provides an add-on certification held by over a 1,000 certified organic, family-owned operations across North America. Real Organic Project strives to uplift farms working within the spirit, not just the letter, of organic principles. Real Organic certified farmers use practices that are centered around the foundational organic principles of soil-based crop production and pasture-based livestock agriculture. To remain accessible to all types of farmers, Real Organic Project fundraises year-round to keep this certification available at no cost to farmers. You can apply today at realorganicproject.org forward slash thrivingfarmer. That is realorganicproject.org forward slash thriving farmer. Today, my guest is Jody Roebuck, who is the trailblazing market gardener and mentor at Roebuck Farm in Tatanaki, New Zealand. With over two decades of experience, Jody guides fellow growers towards more economical, viable farming practices, embodying his belief that when environmental and financial health go hand in hand, true sustainability is achieved. Jody, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Pretty excited. And did I get that name correct or how far off was it? Oh, you're pretty good. Taranaki. That's our region. Taranaki. Yep. Okay. And talk to us a little bit about that because you are in New Zealand, very different farming climate, very different politics than I would say the US and just kind of how the countries run. Um, share just a little bit about, you know, what's it like to farm in New Zealand? So the we're a, a tiny island in the middle of nowhere. Um, we're in a very windy part of the world. Um, the ocean temperature, the ocean controls our weather, really. And mm. um, we're two islands. The north is warm, the south is cold, the west is wet, and the east is dry. Interesting. Okay, so you are on the west side then, and you're on the north island. Yep. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, that would be the north island. I'm just trying to make sure I've got my things here. And... Um, the region you are in, does that have a volcano in it or some sort of uh, mountain? Yeah, we've got um, three dead three dead volcanoes and a very uh, alive one called Mount Taranaki, which is one of the biggest weather makers for the North Island. Um, so uh, we're on a peninsula and mm -hmm. the, ho the whole peninsula was made up um, over a long time from just explosions after explosions. So our soil is uh, mountain ash. There was no land here before the mountains started erupting. Interesting. Okay. So then with your soil coming from that, was it, is it fertile? Is it very poor? Talk to us a little bit about the, your soil aspects. It, cha it changes within our region considerably. Some places are rocky, some are just deep, deep black loam. And mm. our particular site, they cut the topsoil off in 1975, make it a bit flatter to cut hay. So we started mm. on a, a mountain ash subsoil, compact in the beginning, but it opens up nice. Yeah, it's fertile, but there's also a lot of things missing. Like we have zero boron, just nothing. Mm. Okay. So you've had to kind of work on that. Yeah. Um, share a little bit about what got you started in farming. So out of school, I did four years design and didn't really want to, career on a laptop and mm. yeah dad got me a job picking strawberries so I got into conventional uh orchard work for four years apples uh strawberries stone fruit 
just as a job. And that kind of led me to, you know, I was eating organically and so on. Um, that led me, just kind of kept me in ag. So I learned a lot about systems and processes, um, you know, working smarter, repetitious, like apples were paid per bin of apples. So you had to work, you had to work mm. to, to make an income. Yes. And from there, the big change was I did a two-year apprenticeship growing heritage vegetable seed. And that's when I went, aha, I like this, um, you know, biointensive. Um, and that was the big change where I was like, I was 27 and I was like, this is what I want to be doing. Um, then went to the US, did a season with John Jevons. Um, that's kind of the, a lot of the foundation with our, you know, how we farm and we have made changes. Did uh, brought our farm, there's nothing on it, including no topsoil, no house of trees, anything. 2004, had two babies, working off farm, um, worked in a lot of different industries, probably too many to mention, and set up, you know, after hours, growing heritage vegetable seed, but never was ready to run a business, Michael. So never actually sold the seed. I was doing mm. a lot of, lot of selection work and improvement on the crops. Then Jean-Martin Fortier and Curtis Stone came to run an event here, and that's they invited me back, and that's when we switched to um, the market garden model. That was start of mm. 2016. Gotcha. Okay. So that was the start of it then. And you're on your, the land you're on now. Yeah. We've been here near 20 years this year. Okay. Very cool. And so what would you say, like, uh, obviously you were doing seeds. What would you say the biggest kind of thing that caused you to say, okay, I can do this and become a market gardener? Um, having models to having, working on other people's farms and seeing their successes and, and, and struggles, but mainly, seeing what it looks like and mm -hmm. you know I, I went i went straight over worked on curtis's farm uh, both of jean martin's farms and just came home with a vision what does it look like really um and we so we expanded with new garden beds on 30 inch uh, our john jevons beds are 50 inch and built wash and pack day one mm-hmm Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so key to have the right infrastructure. So let's go back to the John Jevons, though, because that actually was one of the first books that my dad had when we started far, um, gardening way back. Uh, actually, I don't even know how uh, I was probably six at the time. So or seven at the time. So this would have been 90, 93, 94, somewhere in there. Um, what what would what were the takeaways or what did you learn from him? Originally, I was kind of fascinated with, you know, the no input kind of concept. We have mm -hmm. changed with that over the years. Um, yeah, just the intensity of it, um, you know, tiny paths and um, close close planting, um, the composting, the propagation, the, the homemade part of it, which we still do. We make our own compost. We make our own seed raising mix. Um, the fundamentals are, are, are still our background but we have just adapted with, you know, some of the new tools from the market garden. Like, you know, 20 years ago, mm -hmm. I had, had never heard of tarping or tilter, jank cedar. So you would, I developed the, the original farm, our wide beds, uh, just with a small rake and fork. That was my, that was all the tools I had. Yeah. And then John Jevons does, um, does he do the double digging? Yeah, he does. We, so my original gardens, I double dug once. Now, um and and as a one-off 
the now we're when all, all our new 30 inch beds we uh i've developed half a broad fork it's called the roebuck fork and we're just working mm-hmm. from top um, levering just like a broad fork um yeah. so our, our beds are a foot a foot and a half deep i'll try to do f- feet um and inches and yeah we open the bed up once and then compost it incorporate that with tilter and then we've got a, a permanent bed Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, so, and, and what caused you to design your own fork? Um, we've, our sauce so soft, I can't, you can't really stand on the beds cause you sink. Um, mm. and yeah, I'm, I'm not a big guy. I'm, uh, uh, five foot four. Um, I can't do pounds. I'm, I'm under 60 kg. Um, so I've always been, I guess I'll just rewind. John John Jevons is an Aikido master. So I started to learn a lot about movement from John and just applied mm. that everywhere to my whole whole moving day. Um, yeah, it was just our style. I, I It was, uh, it, it enables us to work from the path, I guess that's uh, rather than on the bed. No lifting, we work on an angle. Yeah, it's, it's been mm-hmm. great. So is that fork, is the Roebuck fork available in the US? Not yet. We're looking at it. It's just a big, a big task. Um, we need, we're, we're working on it. Um, gotcha. currently, currently it's just from our website and, you know, shipping's horrendous as it is for everything, but yeah, if, if, in the future. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. That's awesome that you are working on that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about kind of like the, the farm setup then you're on, you know, 30 inch beds. Um, uh, if you go to your website, you guys can see pictures of it. It's a great looking farm. Um, and you're tucked right in there at beautiful location. How far are you back from the road? Um, it's a, it's a country road. That's no exit. Uh, we're, uh, 130 meters. Um, okay. 400 feet, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you got a little bit of space then. And how much, sorry, how much space do you have total? How many acres or how many hectares or uh home farm seven acres and then we graze sheep as well and i graze three other titles so seven four we're about i graze about 30 acres in total maybe a little less okay and then the sheep how many sheep do you have uh, 40 to 60 okay and what's the use for those are those for meat or for wool um w- wool industry is um as is, is dead um so okay. breeding breeding land land management and meat for us for we always, we feed we have two families on the farm so we feed ourselves okay and then talk a little bit about like what's the water source for the farm <laughs> uh we have a water problem um not the one you're used to in the u.s um we have too much water so we mm. it's it's very you know you go in the car 10 minutes and it changes but we're five, five kilometers from the ocean, a couple of miles from the ocean, mm-hmm. um, on a peninsula, super windy and wet. So we have an average of 2.3 meters of rain a year. Oh, wow. And you go closer to the mountain and it gets closer, can get closer to 10 meters of rain. So 33 feet. Um, wow. We are uh, 20 meters above a river. So we, when we do need water, we, we send water to our ridge and then we have gravity. We don't need to do a okay. lot of irrigation. We, and so our challenge is it's too wet, um, w- which drives our working week. Um, you know, we can't yes. do bed prep or direct seed or even use the greens harvester in torrential rain. So these days uh-huh. we're heading, we're going undercover more with um, high wind design greenhouses. 
Yeah. So that's the next question. Okay. So then what does a high wind design hoop house or greenhouse look like? Oh, it's nasty. It's just, everything's just more, more solid, Michael, the more steel. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so sorry, the square meters, our new greenhouse, 400 square meters, five ton mm -hmm. of steel. Um, wow. Yeah. It, she's solid, massive foundations. Um, uh, one point, the concrete foundations are 1.5 meters deep by 600 wide. Uh, so that's like, um, uh, wow, really, really significant. And there's a cost that comes with it, but, and oh, they absolutely. have, yeah. and they, they have a, a gutter on there to get the excess water away. And once your skin, once, once the green has a skinned, we come back on with like an aluminum batten that's screwed on to really hold the plastic down extra tight. Okay. Wow. That's robust. And then, um, so what percentage of your cropping is now going to be inside? So we're, we're having a big expansion year this year. Um, the, the last of our flat land we're developing, we've just developed the new greenhouse and we've got, we're going to add one more bay to that. That'll take it to 600 squares. We have four other greenhouses that are smaller. Um, so by the end of this season, we're going to be 190 50 foot beds and 40 of okay. 40 of those are indoors. Um, and we're looking at putting up a couple of cat tunnels that we're going to strengthen and we're cross. Yeah. Yeah. Cross, cross our fingers. Yeah. I can send you a few pictures of a couple of things we've done that might be helpful. Um, that'd, that'd be on cat tunnels. Yep, that'd yeah. Yeah. Cause we, we, we had a wind event here that was so strong that it literally smashed the end in like the first three or four bows. They just went like, hit the ground. I've never seen it like that, but yeah, we've had some significant uh, wind events here. And so we've started to design around it. And again, we're not a very windy area. So I'm not sure if we just had a straight line wind or something come through, but, um, but yeah, we'll get some winds here. So talk to us through then what's the cropping mix. So the, we, we do about 30 we, with the new greenhouse, we, we're diversifying a little more. Um, and we're going a bit earlier and a bit later as, as, as you do indoors, but Really, our focus is on fast-growing crops. So, um, Curtis Stone was a, a big focus on us, and really, we want to sell as, me as many fast-growing crops as we can. And in summer, the fast-growing crops don't take as much space, so that's when we do a lot more longer-season crops. Um, we do a, mm -hmm. a lot of carrots. Uh, we do paper pot beetroot. Um, so, yeah, we do quite a bit of root veg, uh, Mm -hmm. can't sell can't sell turnips here we're in it as a we're in a dairy farm region uh a lot of salad uh, microgreens yep. cherry toms cukes uh fresh onions um lettuce a lot and a lot of drilled baby salad yeah and we run a lot of different cedars okay interesting okay and so do you guys do any of the salanovas over there yes yep Okay. And then um, with that, do you have specific varieties of Salanova that work well for you in the high moisture? We So over the last few years, um, just to recap, following, looking at this worldwide, this has been one of the toughest seasons I've seen ev in everywhere and us, inclu uh, us, yeah. us included. So uh -huh. probably done 30, 40 types of lettuce outdoors, um, no weed mat. Uh, no drip. It's pointless putting down drip when you've got 2.3 meters of rain. Um, and, you know, because everything just gets smashed from above. 
So we really backed yeah. we really backed off lettuce in the last few years. Now we've got a lot more growing space under cover. We're um, f- we're first time users of weed match and drip and got some beautiful results inside. So, uh, or, you know, most of the lettuces we see other growers having success with and in, in drier climates just get smashed here. Now we're indoors. Mm. We're coming back to mm-hmm. um, the varieties that we've trialed over the years. So uh, a red one called Trellex has been our standout and we're mm-hmm. just really bringing lettuce back on um, indoors drip weed mat loving it yeah absolutely and then the outdoor direct seeded lettuce how many rows per bed do you typically do uh so we're, we're it's mainly uh it's not lettuce outdoors direct seeded we do a lot of um baby mizuna or mustard we've got four varieties okay um, we do one, yeah. one super high density one one cup and terminate um that's what that's our workhorse year round uh we've have a, a red a green uh, we grow them separately and then a deep green um six row cedar or five row jang and yep. yeah we do a lot of mizuna a lot of radish micros and we're really excited about bringing lettuce back on and we do pea shoots in the yeah. in the field okay so is that where you just take a couple feet of bed really put down the seed do you cover it up and then just let it come through or do you pre-soak Yep, uh, pre-soak, um, no no bed prep really, just uh, tilt at the top, put down mm-hmm. some plywood, um, f- press the bed, th- then roll all your seeds out, um, pre- pre-water the bed, roll all mm-hmm. your pre-soaked seeds out, put the ply and some huge weights on top and just germinate them like we do the microgreens. And it's, it's generally, it's generally it's, a, it's an amazing crop we we do have losses when we have crazy rain so we can have half a meter in one month um, that's like yeah. two and a half feet yeah yeah absolutely and then, okay so you actually put weights on it while they're start germinating i didn't i mean we do that inside but i never thought about that outside yep. um okay so then do you guys do any like vining crops or anything during the summer uh all indoors with uh the tomahawks or the drop downs in this season, we've yep. we've switched to the quippler. Real loving those because I'm I'm short. Um, our yes, the top wire in our big greenhouse is about three point two meters. Uh, loving the long quippler um, system for that, just so much quicker. No ladders. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, cherry tomatoes, um, cucumbers. We're actually doing pole beans indoors for the first time on the quippler. Uh, sorry, on the tomahawks with just jute string mm-hmm. on there. And yeah, and you know, next year we'll start looking at uh, aubergines. Haven't grown them before. It's just too cold and wet outside. Anything tall, yeah. anything tall outside just gets smashed. Yeah, yeah. Without wind, you would. Yeah. Um, then I guess the question is: on the side of your greenhouses, do you have roll-up sides like we do in the U.S., or is that still too windy for that? Uh, yes, roll-up sides. But when it's really windy, um, I get like a a strop that would you you would use on your trailer or a truck, and I I ratchet yes. I ratchet them the them down on the windy side and open the leeward side. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So you keep talking about wind. What? How many miles per hour is this wind typically? Uh, we just had a storm last February, so that's peak summer, uh, and it was a yep. it was a nasty one. Um, the cost to the country. Was fifth were five million people. The cost to the country was fifteen billion, and oh wow, uh, the wind peaked at six a.m. at seventy miles 
maybe 80. And that wasn't like, was that a hurricane? Was that like a- Yeah, a, yeah um, cyclone. Okay. Yep, from the, trop cyclone. From the okay. tropics. Yep. Yeah, because you're such a small country, so that's why it just can come right in and gotcha. Okay. Wow, that's challenging. Yeah. It's not so let's talk a little, go ahead. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it is what it is. And we, we can get, um, the saying here is, uh, New Zealand is called Aotearoa, which means land of the long white cloud. And it's four seasons in one day. Mm. so there's there's no season for the wind it's just any time it's all it's all really determined by the ocean temperatures gotcha and then i'm assuming the mountains or volcanoes also have something to play with that as well yeah they bring everything in off the ocean yeah very interesting um so then with that, um, let's talk a little bit about management here. So like, what does the typical day look like on the farm? So things things changed for us at the start of COVID. We started supplying, everything stopped and we started at a, a, a big local supermarket. And then that's, this is um, autumn. And then going into winter, all our other outlets opened up and we're now done four years. And um, this is without the new greenhouse, four years outdoors supplying uh, our current outlets, retail restaurant plus a supermarket, and that's this is when I realised that nothing matters apart from plant and harvest. So when the weather allows us, every morning we start with harvest followed by planting. Mm -hmm. Okay, harvest followed by planting, and so I'm assuming you're turning things over, like you crop something out and it gets immediately turned over. When uh, in a normal season, yes, yep. Yep, just try and um, okay. keep the beds full. And we also use a lot of um, covers. So, and this is what I learned from John Jevons, California, although we're wet, it's still the same. Uh, if we direct seed anything, we irrigate it and then we cover with 70% shade to protect mm -hmm. the soil from heavy rain or from hot, dry winds. And so, although we're super wet, when when the sun's out, it's windy and on our free-draining mountain ash soil, the things can dry up insanely quick yeah so we can we can go from uh a foot of rain to a, a dry south wind and and within 48 hours needing to be irrigating the surface it's just radical wow okay so then with your soil if it's volcanic soil is that more of a sandy so like the, the water just goes right down through it yeah it's very fine interesting okay um and so then what does the team look like uh, currently my wife has just, just retired from, uh, her day job, which is uh, at a girls school teaching art history and painting. Okay. Um, Tanya's full-time on the business and she does a lot of, um, propagation, wash and pack, and she's taken over mm -hmm. deliveries and she manages the, the crazy part of the business, which is, um, incoming communication. And yes also runs the website and the events we run, she runs ticketing and communication for all of that. Um, so it's yeah. only been two and a half months. Tan has been full-time on the business. That's been awesome. And yeah. most seasons were one full-time employee. This, this season we're, we're just done a huge spend with the greenhouse on the other side of this. We're looking at more, more outlets, another supermarket and, and uh, two more full-time employees. Okay. And how is finding uh, team members over there? Is it a challenge to find good help or 
Is is that because it's more of an agricultural area, do you have more people used to that kind of work? Oh, it's a it's a bit of both. Um, you know, really, we we're, we're just we're not looking for experience. We're just looking for um attitude. We we can um we can train people up and mm-hmm. see. I think I think net moving forward, we're probably looking at initially bringing in someone that's local, like a someone with a family that drops the kids off at school at nine, picks them up at three, and they pretty much come in on harvest day. And um, we harvest, mm, okay. although I say we harvest every morning, we've got two two main harvest days a week. So we're looking at um, bringing, br- bringing more labor for harvest, wash and pack. And then, yeah, as so this is our, we're having a big expansion year this year. And on the other side of that, um, that's when we'll increase our labor units. Gotcha. Okay, gotcha. So you're kind of right now in this kind of, weird building phase getting through that and then you'll be able to expand on the other side that's awesome yeah hi this is nicholas and jenny we are the proud owners of crystal organic farm located in newborn georgia it's at about a, an hour east of atlanta i just realized today actually talking to a friend of mine this is my 30th year in organic farming and so we've been certified all along we raise organic vegetables, some fruits, also medicinal herbs. That's something that we're getting into. And uh, we've always been certified for 30 years. And my mother actually certified in the mid 80s. So this farm has been certified for a long, long time. We eat organic food. We source all local food. We're really into what we eat and where the food comes from. Jay and I, we were talking and going to the grocery store that, that even like organic, you have to read the labels. And uh, the word organic does not mean what it used to mean. And so when the Real Organic Project came on and we talked about it, it seemed like a great fit for us because it seems that they really are trying, the Real Organic Project is trying to, the word organic still to mean what it should mean. And for people like Jenny and I that are very committed to eating organic, there's a trust factor that just organic has lost for us anyway. So a real organic project uh, idea rhymes with us really well because of how we live our life. Not only because we're organic farmers, but even if we weren't organic farmers, we would seek something like that out. So I think, yes, also for us, like the word organic has quite literally become super watered down with the introduction of hydroponics and different aspects of, you know, the organic farming. And so this label not only goes back to the roots of what organic farming used to mean, say when Nicholas started 30 years ago, but also, like he said, this reassurance moving forward that what you're getting is true organic product. And also the Real Organic Project looks at the health of the farm as a whole, the health of the employees, or if there's animals on the farm. And I think that's super important as well, because this word regenerative is also kind of being thrown around a lot or perhaps watered down as well. And so when you're looking at the farm as a whole, that's truly what regenerative means. But I feel like the Real Organic Project goes a step further than organic and than the word regenerative. Yeah. And and one more thing is that certification costs money, organic certification, and is required to be part of the Real Organic Project. But there's so much money tied up in all this. And the fact that Real Organic Project is, is working on donations, it's not like a, a, an organization that tries to grab more money. Well, it's working from farmers and it, at the grassroots level, started by farmers 
there's farmers running it, farmers working for it, like people that have true experience in farming are the Real Organic Project. It's not just someone sitting behind a desk that's never stepped foot on a farm um, and understands what it takes to farm and to farm organically and uh, beyond organically. And that's super important too, that the people working for and working with the Real Organic Project really get that. Be sure to apply today at realorganicproject.org forward slash thriving farmer. That is realorganicproject.org forward slash thriving farmer. So talk to us through a little bit like the decision for this big greenhouse. Because obviously that was a major investment. Um, kind of what was your thought process before you went ahead and did this? Ideally, we would have had it years ago when we took on the supermarket, but just the weather, the weather just drove us, um, you know, losing, losing crops outdoors, um, what was a, a big factor. Um, so just a little bit about our sales. We're, we're year round. Um, we, we don't get mm -hmm. frost, Michael, because you don't get frost when it's wet and windy. <laughs> yep. So people think, yeah. oh, no yeah. frost, uh, you beauty. But w w our big challenge is sunshine. We, we might not see the sun for a month because it's just raining, raining, raining. So yeah, we were just pushed yeah. to, uh, we're at the mercy of the, the weather forecast when we can actually do tasks. And so we're like, we need to go indoors so that we can just carry on with our program. That was the real driver. You know, we can be harvesting in the rain, direct seeding in the rain, transplanting in the rain, indoors. And we're only just, just about completed the greenhouse and we're just like, right, let's add another bay to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, you've got it. And now you're like, well, let's do yeah. something else. Um, well, it, once you get into covered production, you're like, uh, I can't go back and you just need more and more and more. Um, so do you guys have companies over there that produce tunnels like this? Or is that something where you guys have had to just kind of self-design? We do a lot of work with, um, w with a lot of the companies, including the greenhouse. So yeah, it's New Zealand and Australia company, um, and it's built for our conditions. So the company's called Redpath and they also make, um, mm -hmm the portable cloches that paper pot have started importing. So it's a mobile cloche um, with a clip system. That's really robust for high wind. So we, um, yeah, red, red path is the greenhouse or it's like a serious high tunnel and we use a lot of their cloches. So we use a lot of covers um, outdoors uh, shade net. If we're germinating protection from heavy rains really and insect net mainly as a, um, a bit of security from driving rains on young crops and the wind. It's like a blanket. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then with your, your, your markets, um, with talked a little bit about the, it sounds like you started the grocery store when, um, COVID and all of that kind of talk a little bit about like what kind of crops they're taking and kind of how that relationship works. Um, so our first, we were at two small farmers markets. Our, our first retail store was an independent fishery. That's uh, okay. six years, six years ago. And that this was kind of formative for us in creating our TNCs. And so we, we supply on consignment. They don't buy anything. We have our own fridges and all our stores. It's our fridge branded and we can put any product anytime fridge can't be empty. And then if it sells, they take a 15% margin, but if it doesn't sell, um, we, we, we own that. So they've got no risk. Um, so the gig is 
for their customers, it's complimentary and convenience. And we saw in COVID when restaurants were down, retail was really up because people were going to the um, independent fishery. We're also at the independent butchery. And so this model, as we move forward, uh, we're at a, two other small grocery stores and the big supermarket. We've got the same agreement there. So they don't have to do anything. We've got our fridge. We stock and rotate. That um, They might just send us a photograph of the fridge if it's looking half empty. So we know we need uh -huh. to hustle and, and get there. And by managing, so we've got um, one, two, three, four. We've got five retail outlets that gives us a lot of flexibility on what we stock where and when just knowing the different shopping patterns when the busy part of the week the days that are open or not mm -hmm. yep gotcha okay and so then um what do they just run it through there you have you have um uh, barcodes and everything yep yep um especially the supermarket yep barcodes otherwise we just got two standard prices five dollars or 650 a lot of places they just scan it as a the price they just put it through the till as a price so you know it might be um it might be fresh onions or it might be cherry tomatoes all five dollars or our mixed salad might be 650 but uh -huh. when we when we invoice it's itemized and then at the bottom of the returns um so yeah it's pretty simple gotcha okay very cool um and then do you do any farmers markets you used to not really strong in our region um so you know our our biggest week, we, we did two markets to, for two and a half years. Um, we were on a television program called Country Calendar. Half a million people watched that. We had our biggest week and we did $350. And that's a mm. that's a six-hour market return. Yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty sad. <laughs> yeah, and we've, we've got, we have got one market that's growing on a Sunday, but that's kind of my day off. Um, yeah. we, are looking, we are looking at that. It just, and just to bring back some numbers with, with um, retail, uh, and yeah, two things I'd like to um, present here. Uh, we're 10, 10 kilometers from town. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a city of 80,000 people. Okay. And I'm consistently year round delivering a thousand dollars an hour. So if I'm on the road for three hours, it's door to door. Um, I'm getting three grand of product across town. Um, that's come, that, that's come with a lot of work on improving our systems uh -huh. And, uh, you know, like we don't do any heavy lifting, everything's on wheels and, and, and so on. Um, and then a little bit about our sales, um, because we produce year round, our fast growing crops, if I just talk about them, our sales are the same every week of the year. So in deep winter, we do the same sales as peak summer. The main difference in peak summer is we've got, what I really consider add-on income is our other crops like cucumbers, cherry tomatoes. You know, we've got more variety in summer. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, on average, we're doing five grand a week, uh, year round. And a lot of that is generally fast growing crops. Our biggest week, um, a couple of seasons ago, was the week before Christmas. We did eight and a half grand. And mm -hmm. because that was another three and a half K of longer season, lower value crops. It was just a huge mother of a week um, yeah. for not a lot more sales coming in. Yeah. So we're, with the new greenhouse, uh, we are looking at one more supermarket, but we know we can increase our sales for the nine months. It isn't summer in our current shops that we sell at. Gotcha. So that again, that's why we did the greenhouse. Yep. 
Gotcha. Okay. Um, share a little bit about like, so it says your wife does the um, business side. You do more of the growing side. Pretty much. Okay. All right. I, I'll, I'll do, I, I'm, I'm always all over, you know, where's what needs to happen this season? When do we develop? We communicate about where we spend. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my design background, I, I guess I'm pretty strong on processes. Um, so, I, you know, what do we need? How do we do it? We start here and do that next to get there. Uh, that's mm -hmm. me. Um, Tanya, Tanya drives me. She's like, well, this has to happen. Um, so, you know, crazy amount of emails coming in. I just can't deal with it. Tanya manages all of that. And then she'll forward stuff to me like, Hey, Michael from Patrick's just emailed, wants to do a podcast. And then yeah. I got, then I'll jump on them. Um, focus on that. Gotcha. Okay. And then talk through the, um, the equipment you have. So do you have a, a BCS? No. Okay. Roebuck fork. Um, so I'll just run through the tools quick. Yeah. Um, so yeah, bed prep is Roebuck fork, um, tilther. We, we run three tilthers with a massive Makita drill on there. Um, okay. we also tilther our compost, compost windrows. And so the tilthers are our BCS. Um, so yeah, the whole farm's yeah. um, drill powered, run by drills, two greens harvesters, five row jang, single jang, six row cedar. I love that thing for salad. Uh -huh. Paper pot transplanter, um, drop set, uh, multiple drop cedars. That's yep. about it. Okay. And then for the paper pot, what crops do you do with that paper pot? Mainly beetroot. As we now we've got indoor space, we're looking at um, we're starting to use the thirty centimeter paper chain, which has a different drop yep. setter um, and spreader bar setup for lettuce, and we're just starting to diversify with that a bit. But we really, uh, I, I'm kind of fascinated with direct seeding. So like we we direct seed coriander year round. Um, mm -hmm. Pretty much you name it, we direct seed it. Then okay. we've got the transplant crops like lettuce, cucumbers, tomatoes, peppers. Yep. Um, so do you guys do spinach over there? It's uh it's on our bucket list. Yep. So okay. uh been uh, so just to rewind, couldn't grow beetroot because we had no boron. As soon as we applied boron, mm -hmm. we we grown beautiful beetroot. Um so spinach is our next crop that we want to nail and master. When we've when we've done it in the past, we've mucked around with hand transplanting, uh, seeding with the jang, seeding with the um, what's the small black earthway. Haven't I mean my goal is to direct seed it and swipe it with the greens harvester. Haven't uh -huh, had big successes, uh -huh. so I'm looking at paper pot and harvesting the whole plant three bunched, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, bunch spinach can make really serious money. Yeah, we're um, we're pretty excited about it. Yeah, yeah, some good stuff there. Um, what would you say um would be some keys to your success over the years? Like what what key principles do you think you've kind of like focused on that have made you been able to go for the long haul? Managing yourself so you don't burn out. Mm -hmm. Um, physical movement. Yeah. Uh working, you know, and not looking after your body and, and diet. Uh, and then I think, you know, it's, 
it doesn't matter who I trained with, the name of the farmers, the, the big overriding, the two things that have been a big influence is lean manufacturing, mm -hmm. just putting systems in place everywhere, and then decision-making. And holistic management's been a big influence there, but I'm not like a certified trainee. Just understanding yeah. that um, the big picture and decisions, especially in a fast-moving farm that's really tight, you know, like our, our paths are tiny, the farm's crammed in, uh, there's no room for a BCS here. Um, just the constant decision makings, you know, especially with the weather, like what has to happen and what, yeah, you know, what do we not sweat? Like, you know, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you, I see in some pictures here, and I know you say you don't do a lot on Instagram, but there's some great pictures on Instagram here that folks should check out. Um, you do have a couple different uh rain tanks. Is that because you're collecting all the water off your tunnels anyway? Yeah, so the um, the the greenhouse design with the gutter allows us to either get the water away or collect it. So um, wash and pack all all our all our water tanks are for wash and pack, and then okay. and and okay. and for and for our houses, we've got two houses on the farm, and then we have one more tank that we send the river water to, and that's up on the ridge, so that comes ah, back okay. that comes back down with gravity. And just yeah. a look, um, we we are big on Instagram. Uh, we've just been hacked, so we're down. Oh, okay. Down at the moment. Gotcha. So, yeah, yeah. We're trying to so get that's it, why trying to get it back. That's why it's Jody Roebuck on Instagram instead currently, of currently. Okay. Yeah, currently. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I mean, there's great stuff there. I mean, like you guys got some time lapses, build of the new greenhouse, all of that. Um. Yeah. I'm again. The reason you don't have trusses in your greenhouse is because you don't have snow. Yes. Uh, yes. Because yeah. like in the, yeah, in the U.S. here, I mean, like we have trust. <laughs> our, tr our actually, I had our, our trusses custom built, so they're only seven feet off the floor, and so that allows us to do trellis crops way easier. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's the height yeah. of your so trellis crops? What's the height of your top wire? Um. So in that greenhouse, that will be seven feet. Yeah. So yeah, we want to we yeah. want to be no no buckets, no ladders, no nothing. So we uh we we got rid of the ladders this season. Um two two things, two changes we made for the tomahawks cuz our, our big greenhouse our top wire is just over 3 meters and yeah, I'm, only, I'm only I'm only 1. Uh, yeah, I'm only 1.5 meters. Um so I just made a pole with a hook. Um yep. so I can um grab the top of the plant, bring it down, let some more string out, move it over, put it back up. And then the yep. the quippler, uh, we switched to cucumber tomatoes for those this year. Um, yep. the, the, the quip, there's one version of the quippler that's 1.8 meters long. And I, I just love that thing. Um, we're doing cukes this year, uh, no letters, um, just move the wire over. And what I'm noticing with the quippler is because it's quicker with, bringing the cucumbers down more often for less work so they're not actually getting as high yes yes yeah i think the part of the reason plants have to go so high is a lot of times we don't manage them as well as we should but if we're out there doing um uh the work when we should be you can manage them a lot better and they actually never get quite as high and they're a lot more manageable so yeah sure yeah no, I get that. Um, yeah, we'll see how we like this. So far, we really like, and maybe it's not as low as seven. I got to go out there and measure that because I can't reach it. I could very easily probably reach. I'll have to go measure that, Jody, and see what I actually ended up being. But so far, we've been really happy with it. Um, 
it's uh yes. yeah it's a nice house it's uh, 112 feet long by 36 feet wide um yeah i made it so i could do 100 foot beds inside and then have like eight or nine feet at one end so we could do some lawn so we can have something green during the winter so i also yeah. want to put in like yeah um one one change we've made with the big greenhouse this year that we haven't done with our other other tunnels is we've same we've left a massive path at the end uh, uh 1.5 meters um six mm. foot um access um, which is great for access coming in but also to low and lean and move crops over our other greenhouses mm -hmm. for the that at the time and the cost that we built them we pretty much got the beds coming right to the end of the greenhouse just to maximize yeah. growing space it's a it's a challenge dropping and lowering yeah. the, you know the tall crops so yeah, another thing we've done with our ends too is that we'll start putting perennials right on the edge, right up against the edge. And so that way we don't feel like we need to get right up to the edge. So that gives like, you can only back a, a BCS. And again, you're not using a BCS. We use a BCS here. You can only back a BCS up so close to the edge of the greenhouse. And so yep. I was looking at that space is wasted anyway. So we put figs at the end. We've done um, herbs and pots, herbs in the ground. Um, we did lemongrass this year at the end. So yeah, we're switching a lot more to that so that we're having these strips of perennials right at the end. And that kind of gives us additional use. Nice. So talk to us through what does the next couple of years uh, hold for you? I know you get, you talked about the, I know you talked about, you know, once this whole greenhouse project kind of gets through, you're going to be adding team. Um, your wife came on board. What else do you see happening? So yeah, we've got, this is some, um... This the economy's really down at the moment. Um, so we're we're kind of having a kind of having the season off. We're still doing production, we're just growing to match mm -hmm. our sales, and we're having a, a, a this mm -hmm. is like our third push um in eight seasons to on expansion and infrastructure. So we're looking at mm -hmm. um just putting in the last of our beds that'll take us to 190 50 foot beds, it's taking on a new supermarket. Um been able to come back to focusing on day-to-day -day on production, not pro production plus expansion. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, usually in our July, which is our deep winter, I do, I go to the Northern hemisphere to see the sun. Um, we're design, designing uh -huh. a lot of farms. Uh, I do a lot of consult, we're designing a lot of farms. I designed one in New Zealand called Mangaroa Farm. And we're uh -huh. designing them just really simple layout. And uh, I'm working on a much larger project in Georgia, just south of Russia. So I think I've traveled a lot in the past, not traveling so much, um, just once a year, maybe a bit, a bit more travel, um, just seeking out innovation, looking at some, uh, some bigger scale uh, production. I always enjoy, um, you know, that's where, that's where I saw the Quipla come from and eventually eventually write a book do some online stuff but that's still well in the future so i want to see in our conservative region what's what what does it look like when we've we've got all our flatland in production and then what does it look like as we start to push our market streams and see what what's the potential on what's probably less than an acre mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there's far more potential than folks think. Um, and so, you know, looking at like people like Ray Tyler, who's really crushing it where he is, um, I think he's hitting, I think this year he hit over 650 on his acre. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, starting to see yeah, raise raise an inspiration. Um, I worked on his farm 2018. Okay. And man, it's man, it's changed since. Yeah. Yeah. No, it absolutely has changed. Um, yeah. Um, and then, so let's talk a few questions here at the end. If you could go back and start over again, what would you do different? Big greenhouse earlier. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm so we we won't reconfigure. You know, my John Jevons beds, there's a lot of history there. We've, we've done the soil, made massive improvements to the soil. Um, I, if, I, if I could click my fingers, I would reconfigure the farm to, to be able to run it with the uh, Italian Ferrari um, tractor that fits the 30-inch beds. Yep. And the mm -hmm. bed, the, uh, the farm... Our farm would look like the farms we're designing for other people these days, like Mungaroa Farm. Um, so just wall to wall, as far as you can see, tiny paths, 30-inch beds, and then super simple layout and, and really nice um, wide access in. Um, and I guess we're looking at, as we expand, you know, it's a bit, so my take is that our farms are going to get bigger in the future. Generally, mm -hmm. we've seen them get smaller and more profitable, I'm really excited about the small Italian tractor and taking a bit more labor out of the farms and mm -hmm. why I'm, why I'm thinking farms need to get bigger is we probably put 400 K New Zealand dollars into our business. And that's a big infrastructure. It's a big job starting the family farm from nothing. And mm -hmm. yeah, so, you know, I'd, I'd like to see our, our wash and pack run every day. And yeah, I, I can see farms being two, three, four, five acres more common in our movement in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Just absolutely. Well, I think the thing is too, yeah, you want to maximize the use of those spaces. So like if the wash and pack is only running two days a week, why shouldn't it be running six or seven days a week? It's totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then what one piece of advice would you have for a brand new grower? <clears throat> Uh, seek out those that are further down the track and go and do some time on their, on their production. Yeah. Get a season or two under your belt before you hit it, before you hit it, keep your day job for a bit transition in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, that's great advice. Well, Jody, I appreciate you coming on today and sharing anything else you'd like to share. Oh, um, talk to us through where folks can find you. Uh, a lot of content on website, roebuckfarm.com. And Instagram currently is Jody Roebuck, but yeah, we're trying to get Roebuck Farm Instagram back. And we've got more podcast content. We built 20 podcasts with Farm Small, Farm Smart, our, our subject by subject. Our, okay. it's, called, it's called the Profitable Mini Farm. And you can yep. find us, and we run events. Yep, you can find us here in Taranaki. Okay. Yes. And you guys have, uh, you have a cheese making event, I think coming up here that actually one of my people was like, Oh my gosh, that looks amazing. She said, if I didn't have to fly halfway around the world, I would go. So. Yeah. So if you, if you are interested in dairy and cheese, check out David Asher, leading natural cheese maker. Our friends mm -hmm. have a, a raw milk farm just down the road. And last time David was here, five day event, he made 50 types of cheese, just blew the house down. Heaps of fun. Wow. Yeah. Mm. That sounds amazing. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, yeah, if you're ever in the uh, US, get back over this way. Make sure you stop in.
we'll do that looking at next July. And yeah, thanks for all the content you make too. Really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thanks again. So there you have it. Another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.